Mark chapter 6. If you're visiting with us this morning, I would love to meet you afterwards. So feel free to come by in the back and I'd love to talk to you. Well, we're going through the book of the Gospel of Mark. Today we're going to look at God's provision. Sometimes when people think about God's provision, they think about it in maybe two major ways. One way I would say is the wrong way, and the other way is the right way. Some people think of God's provision as kind of like the government giving you a check. A couple, about 10 years ago, there was a, um, an economic stimulus act passed by George W. Bush, and it was $168 billion dollars. And money checks were given out to 130 million taxpayers. So if you are old enough to remember that, because some children in here probably don't know what I'm talking about, but you might have got something in the mail from that. You know, when you get a check from the government, if you get a check from the government, but when you get one, there's not a relationship there, is there? You know, like Nancy Pelosi at that time, 10 years ago, wasn't calling you up and saying, I love you so much. Here's your check for $600, right? It just processed. It's something that goes through the government system. In fact, if you can receive a call from anyone, it's probably someone in the IRS, and they're coming after you, right? Because you didn't report it or whatever. And sometimes people view God's provision in, in that way. It's kind of like, well, I've given this to God. I've done this for God, so God should just give something back to me. I deserve this, which is obviously a wrong and accurate view of God's provision. God's provision actually in the scriptures is illustrated as a parent provides for a child. And the idea there is that God is our father and God gives because he has a relationship with us. He provides for us and takes care of us because he loves us. The giving is tied to the relationship. And as you consider God providing for you, you must understand that God gives to his children because he loves his children. In fact, in your handout there, you can see Matthew 10, 9 says, Jesus said this. He says, if a son asks for bread, will a father give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, in other words, we're sinners. If as sinning parents, we know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So we're going to look at God's provision today. Do you have needs in your life? We all do. Does our church have needs? Do we need God to provide? So let's look at who God is as our provider. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we come with a desire to understand what it means that you provide for us. Lead us in your truth. Teach us. For God, you are the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. This is actually the third message in this series that started off as just a one Sunday message and bloomed into three messages. And so this one is titled, Jesus Takes His Disciples to School. And we've looked in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 about Jesus training his disciples. He kind of did an on-the-job training where he sent them out. 
First, we looked at hardship 101. They learned to endure hardship. Then we uh, looked at teaching 102. This is two weeks ago. They learned to teach authoritatively. Today, we're going to look at provision 103. The disciples learned to dependently trust. And so we're We're seeing this chapter as an opportunity for Jesus to train, to teach, to instruct his disciples. And so if you go down to Mark chapter 6, I'm not going to read through this whole passage. But if you go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, you can see where Jesus sends his disciples out two by two to do what he has been doing. Which was what? To go out and teach and to, to show the authority of their words with miracles. And so they do the same thing. And then Jesus also uses this opportunity and the rest of the book or the rest of the chapter of uh, Mark chapter six to teach the disciples to dependently trust in him as the provider. See, naturally, these disciples and naturally we as humans revert to our to self-dependence. We look to our own heart and we look to our own human ingenuity for provision. And we consider that any provision in our life, it comes from what we do and how we can orchestrate and manipulate things. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that we need to depend upon God to provide for our needs. And you can see that in your handout there. That's the major lesson. So as we go through this message today, we're going to look at that lesson over and over. Jesus is teaching these disciples, you need to depend upon God to provide for your needs. So first lesson we see is taught in verse 7, the lesson of provision taught. Verse 7, you look down in your scriptures there, and it says, he, that's Jesus, called the twelve, He began to send them out two by two. He gave authority over unclean spirits. He charged them, listen to this, to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and only to bring one tunic. So not to put on two tunics. First notice what Jesus told them not to take. He said, basically, don't take anything with you, right? Now, if you go on a trip, How do you pack on a trip? If I were to say, let's all go to the beach after this and let's go have fun, how would you pack? I know when we go on a day trip like that, I mean, it's like we're going on vacation for a week sometimes, right? You have the toys in the back. You have your blankets. You want to make sure you have your towels, of course. You want to bring your change of clothes. Usually bring us some kind of lunch so we can have, you know, a sandwich with some sand in the middle of it so we can make sure we clean our teeth with that sand and you know, you want to bring a couple extra bucks so you can have ice cream afterwards. So, I mean, you're packing your car. That's just a day trip. But you're going to go out and give the gospel for who knows how long. Maybe this was days, weeks. We don't really know. And you're going to take nothing with you. And so you might look at this. You might th- say, wasn't, wasn't that kind of foolish of Jesus? Why, why would they go out without anything? Well, it makes sense when you understand what Jesus' purpose was. This wasn't a foolish command. This was a way to train these guys to trust the Lord. And only a short while, these guys are going to go out. Jesus is going to die and be resurrected, go back to heaven, and they're going to be on their own. They'll have the Holy Spirit, but they're not going to have Jesus there to provide for them. And they're going to have to trust 
in the Lord. So Jesus uses this as an on-the-job training to trust the Lord. Well, where are they going to get these provisions? Then they got to sleep somewhere. They got to eat something. Well, look down in verse 10. He says, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And then he goes on and says, what happens when they don't receive you? And the idea here is when you go into a town that you're going to have a place to sleep. When you go into a town, there's going to be food that you're going to eat. Well, is Jesus setting this up in all these towns? No, what he's saying is God's people will be in these towns and God will take care of you through God's people. They were to trust that God would provide through his people. They didn't know where those resources were going to come from. Jesus didn't ahead of time set those up physically like sovereignly he did, but he didn't set them up physically. They were to step out in faith. And so the lesson they had to learn here was to depend upon the Lord as they went out and presented the gospel. And I think what we have to understand about this passage right here, that this was a unique instruction that Jesus gave them for this time. This is probably back in December. I had a person that came on the property here and I saw them back in the back and it was a lady who was homeless. She was actually in her car sleeping, but she was, uh, she slept in her car at night, but she was back there. And so I started talking to her and hearing her story and, and I heard her story and it's interesting. She said that, uh, I said, you know, how'd you kind of get yourself in this situation? And she said, well, I read, and she actually referenced this passage right here. And she said, you know, I decided to leave my husband and my children and just go in my car and just travel around the southern part of California and just trust God to provide for my needs. And, you know, there's a lot of things we talked about that were disappointing. And and just because she was like, that doesn't mean every person that's homeless is like that. I'm not saying that. But sometimes people take things like this, this passage, and they go, oh, well, that's what the Bible says. Then I'll claim that for myself. That's why it's so dangerous just to read a verse like this and kind of throw it out there and build a whole theology and life based upon one little verse. You have to understand context. We understand what was, why was Jesus given this instruction? You can't just take a verse and apply it and say, this is now how I'm going to live. This is now how I believe. We have to understand context. We have to read with a normal sense of how you would normally read something that was like a story like this. And, and, it's, and it's actually very... Disappointing, very sad, because many people take things like this and they live their life like that. In fact, a lot of people excuse their laziness in life for things like this. Well, I don't have to worry about things. God's going to take care of me. You know, he told his disciples, go out. You don't have to take anything. God's going to take care of you. So, But actually, God wants you to plan. The book of James, he writes, if the Lord, you should plan like this. If the Lord wills, we should do this or that. So he says you should plan. Don't plan apart from God, but when you do plan, and you should plan, you should say, I'm going to plan to do this under the will of God. And sometimes people kind of view this kind of stuff where we just go out and just, you know, it doesn't really matter. I can do whatever I want as God's will, but actually it's against God's will. If you look down your handout, you can see First Timothy. I put a couple of verses in here to help you think through this. We're not going to talk about this in depth here. God provides primarily in our lives through work, through work. First Timothy 5, 8, anyone who does not provide for their own family and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So someone that has that mindset that oh, I don't really need to work. I just trust God. Well, actually he's saying in here, Paul's saying you're actually worse than an unbeliever. Like that's not actually how God wants you to live your life. 
Actually, you provide for your family, but also you provide in, in a way to give to other people by work. In fact, Ephesians 4, 28, you can see that there. He says, let him labor, get a job. Why? Do honest work with your hands. Why? So you may have something to share with those people who have needs. So we actually should be working so we can help provide for our families, but also so we can give to those in need. And Paul, in another verse there, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, Paul says, even when we were with you, we gave this rule. One who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So God wants you to work. That's how he provides. And I guess I need to say this. I think it's an important thing for us to think about. If you're able to work, and you, you know, your mindset is, well, I can, I can just bum off my family, or I can, or I can just, you know, bum off the government. And, and I'm not talking about a person who's disabled. I'm not talking about a person who is uh, looking for a job. I'm not talking about a person who's going to school. I'm just talking about a person who is an able-bodied person, and they're just saying, you know, I don't need to work. I'll just kind of let other people provide for me. I can tell you pretty confidently from God's word, you're not in God's will, Right? God doesn't want us to live a lazy life. He wants us to work hard and provide and to give. That's what God's will is for us. And of course, there's exceptions with people that have some difficulties. I understand that. Or maybe you're in a position where you're not able to work because you don't have a job and you're looking for one and you're working or you're looking and looking and looking. And so if if you have a job, what should we say? Thank you, God, for providing for us, right? And if you have a job in here, if you're receiving income or if you're in a a home where your parents are working and they're providing, you say, thank you, God, that you've given our family an income to be able to provide. And if you're needing a job, what should you say? God, please give me a job, right? God, please provide. And so you might find yourself in one of those situations and that's what we should pray in our heart. Thank you, God, for providing for us in this way. Or if you don't have a job, God, please provide for us in this way. In fact, look in your sheet down in Luke chapter 22, It's interesting, the night before Jesus died, he referenced Mark chapter 6, this time when they went out with nothing. In Luke 22, verse 35, Jesus said to them, the disciples sitting around this last meal, he said, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And what did they say? Nothing. Why, Why did Jesus reference this at this moment? Because they were about to step out and trust the Lord. And he's saying, remember that time when I trained you and I had you go out and you didn't lack anything? Now go out and trust the Lord. In fact, look at verse 36. And he said to them, but now let the one who has money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. And the idea is he has different instructions now. Now he's saying, now as you go out to give the gospel, prepare, prepare for what? You're going to do and trust the Lord through that. So Mark chapter 6 is teaching us we need to depend upon the Lord to provide for our needs. Look down at verse 30 of Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so there was amazing things God did at their hands. But what you can see in this passage here is they don't come back and say, well, Lord, we didn't have anything. We, we, you told us to go out. We were in need. No. They came back and they praised the Lord for what happened. So God provided for them. So the lesson was taught. Now look at the lesson tasted. You know, you had to stick with the T's. So lesson tasted there. Verse 31. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. 
and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Let me just pause to say this, is that this is Jesus' provision of rest. Ministry was hard. Ministry was grueling. And Jesus was saying here, I recognize you guys have had a lot going on. Let's have a time, a provision of rest. That's actually healthy in ministry and healthy in life to have a time of rest. Now, I didn't say a time of retirement. Some people view that like, oh, it's so busy. I just need to take a break for life from this. There's no ministry retirement in the Bible. So it's not like a time where it says, oh, I'm sorry, you received, you know, you went to this age or you put this much time in. So now you get to, no, it's actually not there. It is good to have a time of rest. And so sometimes you can be so worn out. You just need to sit back and rest and then get back in it. Verse 33, and now many saw them going and recognizing them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns, got there ahead of them. And, and he went to sh- ashore when he saw a great crowd. And listen to this. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This was in the spring of probably 29 AD. Around the time of Passover. Evidently there had been a lot of rain. Kind of like they had a similar climate actually to our climate over there. And they must have had a lot of rain. Because in verse 39 it says they sat down on green grass. So you can kind of imagine this time of year. When they're coming out to the mountainside. There's the sea of Galilee right there. And you can picture the scene. Verse 44, the Bible says there were 5,000 men. The book of Matthew talks about the same story and says that there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So some estimate there could have been between 10 to 25,000 people there on this hillside. So just imagine the Sea of Galilee and this hillside and 10 to possibly, that's probably minimum 10,000 to maybe the maximum of 25,000 people. And these people are coming from all, there's about 200 towns around this Sea of Galilee. And they're all coming from around these towns seeking Jesus, wanting to find him. In fact, the book of John tells us that they were looking for Jesus because they wanted to make him king. They were under the oppression of Rome. And they saw this is the guy that can, make a, that can be the king. He can overthrow Rome. And so look down in verse 34. When Jesus sees this crowd, how does he view them? When he went ashore, he saw the crowd. So picture this hillside, grassy hillside. These thousands of people. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do? He began to teach them many things. I mean, it was kind of like these people are all on this hillside and it's like they're sheep. They're kind of lost. And the idea isn't that these people are just standing there like sheep. The idea is that Jesus was able to see in their hearts and he saw something that was their greatest need. The greatest provision that Jesus could provide for them was what? Was himself. He saw them as sheep. I imagine the Bible, imagine the The passage in Isaiah came back to Jesus' mind where it says we're all like sheep and we've gone astray. We've gone to our own way. I can imagine that Jesus saw these these people all wandering around up here looking for him and thinking what they really need is a shepherd. And that's why he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he is the good shepherd. And he said, I'm the good shepherd. And I do what? I give my life for the sheep. And so when Jesus saw these people, Yes, he was going to feed them in a moment, you know, these ten to 25,000 people with food. He saw that need, but he saw their greatest need. That is that need needed Jesus. In fact, it's interesting to think about these, these people all around him. 
many of those people, for, in fact, I'd say probably the majority of those people, ended up rejecting him. Later on, Jesus said about these people, he said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those were the towns that were around this village, so this, this sea, some of those villages. And so many of those people, in fact, potentially all those people from those towns were out here at this moment. And he said, if the mighty works had been done, that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, these people didn't repent. They didn't follow the Lord. But the Lord was still moved. Think about this. He was still moved with compassion for people who needed the Lord. You see, this wasn't just an intellectual truth for Jesus. It wasn't like he was standing there and he's like, yeah, it's like, I can count probably about 22,000 people here and you know, they're going to reject me. Like it, it didn't just stay in his head. The word compassion actually literally means to be moved in one's bowels. That sounds kind of disgusting to us, right? Did you know actually that you have a second brain? Scientists say that the human gut has over 200 million neurons. That's as much as a dog's brain. So you have a brain up here, but you know you have a brain down here too. I'm not making this stuff up. You can look it up. Some of you are like raising your eyebrows like, uh, where are you getting this from, okay? Science. Your upper brain is home to your central nervous system while your gut houses the, uh, let's see here, the enteric, is that how you say it? Nervous system, whatever. But your brain, your gut are connected by the vagus nerve. The idea is this, is that you can think something up here, but you know, you kind of feel it in your passions. So, I mean, I, my point of kind of bringing this up here is that it's interesting how the Bible uses words like this. Like, Jesus already knew, <laughs> right, that this is how this all worked. It's interesting how they, that this, the writers of the scriptures put this in there. Jesus didn't just think theologically, oh, these are people that need me. These are, he felt it. I mean, you could say it this way. He was sick to his stomach because he saw people who needed Jesus Christ. He knew what their destiny was without Christ. They thought, we need a king. Here's a king. And he goes, no, you need someone to take away your sins. I'm the good shepherd. All have, are like sheep. They've gone astray. They've turned from their way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew that, that he was that shepherd that was going to fulfill Isaiah 53, 6. And so what did he do to feed the sheep? He teaches them the word. Let me just say this. If you're in here today and you're without Christ, your greatest need is not a meal today, not a place to live tonight, your greatest need is you need someone to save your soul. And that person is Jesus. Verse 35, Bible says, and when it grew late, some of the other gospels place this around three to six in the afternoon. So they're hungry, they're tired. They've been listening to preaching all day long. Some of you have only been listening to me for what, 24 minutes here. And you're thinking, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm ready to go home, okay? But think about all day long, they were doing this outside. And it says his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the countryside in the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Why did Jesus say that? Like, what's his point? What's he trying to get across to these guys? Well, he wanted these guys to look for provision from the Lord. He was challenging their faith in him as the provider. So the question is, did these guys trust the Lord? 
Did they depend upon Jesus? They go, oh, okay, we see this, Jesus. You continue reading, what does it say? And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And 200 denarii was worth about uh, eight to, to 10 months pay. So if we translate it to our time, maybe about $20,000. So they're like going, what? We're going to spend this much money just to feed one meal. It's kind of sarcastic in some sense. You know, that's humanly impossible or it's not really smart. Like, what are we going to charge it to our Jehovah visas or what? You know, that's what Americans do or not Jehovah visa, but they, they, they charge it to their discover cards or visa or master cards. Like I have a big need. Oh, well, I'll trust the Lord. You know, and that's kind of what these guys are thinking. They're thinking along these terms, like, okay, so how are we going to provide? Oh, well, I guess we could, you know, is that what you want us to do? Is that much money, Jesus? I don't know. doesn't make much sense. That's not what he wanted, was it? Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And if you remember from some of the other gospel accounts, Andrew actually goes, finds a boy. This boy has five loaves and two fish. And he brings this boy to Jesus. He goes, well, this is all we found. And what is that with such, so many people here? And they missed the point, didn't they? They missed the point that Jesus is the one who provides. Look at verse 39. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups in the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. That all encompasses a lot of people, doesn't it? There's three things he did here. First of all, Jesus had them sit down in an orderly fashion. Number two, he blessed the five loaves and two fish, which think about it. That had to be a little odd. The disciples didn't know what was going to happen. The people didn't know what was going to happen. And here Jesus takes this, these, two, uh, these two fish and these five loaves and he blesses God for them. He blesses the food. And back at this time, what they would have done when they would have had a normal meal, they would take their first piece of, of bread. They would have lifted it to heaven. They would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives us this food from the ground. So that's how they would have blessed their food. So you think about this. He's blessing this food for all these people. The disciples had to be thinking, what is going on here? But what Jesus is doing with this prayer of blessing is teaching these disciples that what's about to happen is provided from God himself. And actually, I think it's always good for us to remember this. Sometimes we get in a routine of praying before our, our, our meals blessing the food. In fact, some people think that actually when they're praying for their food, they're asking God to make this into a healthy meal for them. You know, as the comedian says, it's like change the molecular structure as it goes down into my belly. So this, you know, hamburger will actually turn into a vegetable. That's not what's happening, right? What's actually happening is we're, we're blessing God. We're saying, God, thank you for the blessing of this food. It's a way to recognize that all provision, this food particularly, comes from God. So maybe it's good if you, if you do pray before your meal, or you should be praying before your meal. If you're doing that, to make sure you're kind of mixing your prayer up a little bit. Don't get into the routine of, thank you for this food. Bless our bodies in Jesus' name, amen. You know, <laughs> shove it in your mouth. So I know sometimes I can get into that as well, especially when I'm really hungry. The third thing Jesus did was he did something miraculous. He multiplied this food, this bread and fish for 10 to 25,000 people. And actually, I was thinking there's kind of two miracles here. One is that you have a boy that had a meal and he didn't eat it the whole day long. You know, you think about that. I have a boy. 
And I can imagine if I gave him my uh, Chick-fil-A meal, you know, a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a couple, maybe a little nuggets in there and some waffle fries. I know for myself, if I picked it up for my wife, I'm having a couple waffle fries before I come home. Can you imagine that little boy, a little boy like that all day long? I mean, but seriously, it's amazing that God, that God used that. It wasn't a miracle. It's God's provision, but, or God's providence, I should say, but how God allowed that boy to not eat that food. And then he even gave it up. Maybe that's a miracle right there. But think about the fact that, that Jesus was able to multiply this. I was thinking about just the statistics behind this. Think about five loaves, two fish. Every person was able to eat. And so if that was, let's say the minimum was 10,000 people. That means Jesus miraculously multiplied 70,000 pieces of food. That's pretty incredible to think about. Why did Jesus do it in this way? Why did he use a young boy like this? I mean, why didn't he just get up there and have food appear out of nowhere? I think Jesus wanted to teach us and his disciples that God provides supernaturally through natural resources. Let me say that again. God provides supernaturally through natural resources. I think Jesus wanted these guys to see something physical, this boy's meal, and see God do something miraculous with that resource. Now, I think many of us can stand up here and give testimony to the Lord doing this, this in our life. There's things where we, we need something. It's like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And God does something amazing, and he does it through natural resources. But many times, the resources we knew nothing about. That's what you kind of see in this right here. I thought I'd just give two testimonies of things that happened in my life, and I'm sure many of us could give testimonies like this. 2005. Uh, I was part-time children's minister uh, for the first three years of the church I was at in Calvary and Simpsonville. And uh, God just kind of brought a perfect storm in our life. I was in seminary, and Dana was teaching in a school, and we had just bought a fixer-upper. Dana was pregnant. And so those seemed like really good things, and they were really good things. But uh, then Dana had the baby early, three months early. And Isabel had to be in the NICU. And we're still in the middle of a fixer-upper. And I actually had just started tree trackers up at that time. It was like, this was the, that was the, the Wednesday was like the first, in September was the first time we ever had tree trackers. And then we had bills coming in, seminary bills, hospital bills. I had no rich uncles. We had a house now to pay for, which actually is a little bit more expensive than an apartment because you have to take care of things when they break. My salary was $20,000 a year. So now I had to live on that with all these things. And... We didn't tell people in the church that kind of the desperate situation we found ourselves in. We didn't, you know, they, of course, they knew about the baby and stuff, but not about anything else. We had a guy come into our house once that said, um, I don't remember why he came in, but we were at the hospital and he came in and he said, you guys don't have any food in your house. Do you know that? He goes, you guys need to go shopping. And he just thought, me because we didn't go out and go shopping. And we knew why we didn't have any food in our house. But I will say, like, it was amazing to see God provide. We didn't, we didn't do the, the visa thing. We didn't do that. We, but we did see God do some amazing things. And there, there's a couple in the church that said they wanted to bring us a fruit basket every couple of days. Because they thought, well, you're probably not going to eat very well up at the hospital. And we saw a person that said, hey, we want to pay for your gas to go back and forth to the hospital. And it was, it was just amazing how, like, we would pray at night together. And we, we didn't know necessarily. We never went without. It wasn't like we were like, oh, we're so hungry today. It was like God provided for us. And 
It was amazing. Last last Christmas, I was uh, we'd sold our house and we were taking the step of faith, see what God had for us, and we were in that time of transition. I was working for myself with True Trackers, and so we were trying to save money with that. And since we had sold our house, we were living um, in a uh, house sitting for a, a military family, and so. We were at Christmas. We were like, okay, so what are we going to do about Christmas this year? We don't have any other decorations. They're all in storage. All that kind of stuff is like that. And, and, and you're trying to save money. You don't know what your next step in life is going to be. And we're praying and trusting God. But so we decided, we said, and we just did this for us. It wasn't necessarily a need, but we thought, you know, for Christmas, we're just going to trust God with our Christmas. So we're not, and we told our kids, we're not going to buy a Christmas tree. We're not going to go out and buy Christmas uh, decorations. We're not going to buy gifts unless God provides it for us. And we just, it was a, one of those things where we're just like, we're going to kind of like, you might say like the disciples, like we're just going to see if we can trust God in this and see what God can do. And it was pretty awesome to see God work. We had a, a, a family that came by and said, you guys need a Christmas tree? Yeah, actually we do. You know, you want some decorations with that? Sure. And they had probably these boxes. They always had these in our attic there. And, and, um, I had a guy on Sunday, one of the Sundays at our church there, he came up and he said, Hey, uh, yeah, you, you need to get your kids some Christmas presents that are really good this year. Here's a check for $500. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. And had someone else do that as well. Give us something else. And we're like, oh, wow. Okay. And, and one of the things that kids really wanted was they wanted stockings. And so I, we told them, we said, if you want stockings, you got to pray that God will provide stockings. And I was kind of at a place where I was like, we're just not going to have stockings this year. You know, we don't, you really need it. I mean, it's full of sugar and you put a tooth, you put a toothbrush in there just to kind of make up for all the sugar. <laughs> like, I don't really need that. Christmas Eve, and the kids are like, are we going to have stockings tomorrow morning? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, we us pray to the Lord and ask him. So we did that that night, and we get to church, the Christmas Eve service, and uh, and someone said, hey, can we have your keys? I'm like, oh, okay. And so they took our keys. I trusted him, by the way. And and we came out to our car that night, and there was five stockings there. And I think the thing that's amazing, and I think we can, many of us who are believers for a long time, you can tell stories like this, like how God provided, right? And you can't really do this when you're in a church like that because like they know you, right? And they're like, they might feel bad. But my point is this, is that it's awesome how God can provide. And see, I look out here, and I know there's people out here, you're, some of you are looking for a job, right? Some of you have some major medical bills. Some of you have some major things going on in your life. Some of you are just asking God to provide for some simple things in life. Maybe you just need a friend. I just want a friend in my life, Lord. And I, I know, because God's word promises, and we've experienced it, that when we depend upon the Lord, he can provide for our needs. And I say those kind of things just to say glory to God and to tell you, like, I know it's real. Right? Roger can come up here. And he can tell you stories about how God provided for him. And that point is this, is that we need to trust God to provide. So they learned their lesson, right? The disciples learned their lesson. No longer were they ever not, not going to trust God anymore. Look down at verse 40. 42, the Bible says, well, let me say, first of all, that's not true. They didn't learn their lesson, but let's look at verse 42. And they all ate and they were what? Satisfied. In other words, God gave them just what they needed. In fact, look at verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of pieces of fish and uh, bread and fish. So they had just what they needed, right? You're like, no. Jesus made a little bit more than he should have. Think about this. All that that Jesus multiplied, and they had the exact amount except for 12 baskets of food. The word baskets actually means handbag. 12 handbags of food. Why do you think that he would have made enough for 12 handbags of food? 
See, it wasn't that he'd made too much and he was like, oh, guys, leftovers. No. You know, he was showing these guys, I provided for you in this way. All these people were able to eat. And guys, here's 12 handbags, maybe for the next day, maybe for the next couple days for their journey. God provided in his time with his compassion by his power. So did they learn their lesson? We're not going to go through this whole story. I'm just going to read through it. Look at the end of verse of uh, chapter 6, verse 45. This is the lesson of provision tested. Immediately, he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went to a mountain to pray. Now think about this. He's on this mountain. They're in the middle of the sea. It's the middle of the night now. Didn't we see this before somewhere? Like maybe Mark chapter 4. Yeah, that happened again. And it's happening here. This time Jesus isn't with them, but he's watching them. And what's he doing? He's praying. Who do you think he's praying for? Probably praying for them. Verse 47. And when evening came, came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Remember last time when they were in the middle of the sea, Jesus was with them. And what did he do? They cried out. He stood up. He said, peace, be still. And it was calm. But now Jesus isn't with them. In fact, think about this. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. The, steam's, the storm is raging again. In fact, a couple weeks previous, Jesus had cast out some demons into some pigs who went into the sea. And look at, ver- look at the end of this verse there. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on water and he meant to pass them. In other words, it's like he's out for a stroll. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. It's like, no, they're out to get us. Right? That's what they're thinking here. It's like the spirits here. Here they come. It's Jesus. And they cried out. But they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke and he said, take heart. It is I, or literally, I am. God's here, guys. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Verse 52, listen, they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. What didn't they understand? They didn't get the point of the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't get the lesson that provision comes from God, that they needed to depend upon God to provide for their needs. Sometimes we can so easily forget, can't we? Sometimes we think, God, you've forgotten about us. But the truth is, we forget about him. We forget to trust him. Brother and sister, God loves you. If you're a child of God, He wants to provide for you in his time, by his compassion, by his power. He's not forgotten you. There are many, like I said earlier, many needs that our individuals face in here and families face. There's many needs our church faces. The truth is, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for our church. None of us do. Sometimes, I don't know, I'm just to be transparent, sometimes I get overwhelmed thinking about all the needs. Think about this, and think about that, and wonder what's going to happen with this. And sometimes, honestly, you meet some Christians in Simi Valley here, not in this church, but some people are pessimistic about 
things. And so sometimes that can kind of pull you down. You kind of kind of feel yourself in a trap where you start to worry and you start to fear and you start to doubt. But the truth is, if the future of this church depends upon me or you, then we're doomed. But if we go to the Lord and depend upon him, what can God do? And God can do things that are abundantly above all that we could even ask or even can think about. And our hope is in him. We serve a God who loves this church. He loves Lighthouse. He loves you. He wants to provide for you individually. He wants to provide for us corporately. And he's promised to build his church. Next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the biblical vision for Lighthouse. And what I want us to do is think about what, what is Lighthouse going to be like? What could Lighthouse be like in, in five years from now? What could it be like in 10 years from now? And I think God can do some amazing things at Lighthouse. It's not because we have a new pastor. It's not because we have someone in the crowd that's a millionaire. Like, I don't know. Both those things aren't true that <laughs> right? I know about. It's because we serve a God. And he can, he can, he can take natural resources... And he can supernaturally provide. We need to trust him. God provides supernaturally through natural resources. God can provide from resources we know nothing about. And sometimes we automatically think of money. I'm not thinking about money. I'm thinking about people, right? There's, there's people that God has in this city for us. People who need Christ. Maybe families who are looking to be nurtured in the word of Christ. In Philippians 4.19 says... My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, that's a promise we can all claim in here. Over the next few weeks, I want to look at, not this right here, but look at what God has for this church. But we, have, we can have plans. We can have visions. We can have thoughts. But we, in the end of the day, we need God. He's got to be the one to work. I can tell you this, I can't do it. <laughs> and you can't do it, but he can do it. If you're in here today and you're without Christ, I want to again let you know that your greatest provision was given to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He offers forgiveness and grace and eternal life if you come to him in repentance and faith. Will you come to the Lord today? Let's pray. As your head's bowed and your eyes closed, if you're in here today and you, you are in need of the Lord, you'd like to talk to someone, I would love to talk to you after. Christian, if you're in here and you are in a desperate time of need, would you use this moment of silence to cry out to him? The Bible says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Bring your cares to him at this time.
Father, we come to you desiring to trust you as our provider. Oh God, we cannot do this life on our own. We don't have the spiritual resources. We don't have the physical resources. We don't have the emotional resources on our own. But we do in you. And your Holy Spirit empowers us by your grace to live. God, we can live for your glory. We can be satisfied in you. Our joy can be filled up because we're filled up with you. We're so thankful for the provision of forgiveness. We're so thankful for the provision of redemption in Christ Jesus. We're so thankful that our sins are forgiven in Christ, past, present, and future. We're so thankful for the provision of eternal life. And we're so thankful that, God, you're the one who watches over our life. Our lives are yours. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. The price was Jesus Christ's blood. So we give ourselves to you. We trust you to provide for our lives. And we trust you to provide for our church. God, I pray. I pray that, God, you will provide the needs that we have. We need, we desire to see and need souls saved. We want to see that, Lord. We want to see people discipled. We want to be discipled. We want a sacrificial heart that serves and gives. We want to, we want to see deacons in this church rise up and serve the church. We want to see unity within our community and fellowship with each other. We want a culture, God, of hospitality and, and of Bible study for all ages. God, we, we want to see young families join this church and partner with us. God, we want, a, we want a thriving community here. We want a regular habit of community prayer. We want, we want to see volunteers step up in the children's ministries and the, the worship team. God, we want, to, we want to see resources that can help us update our facilities. God, we want to have a hope for heaven that's greater than our economic and political hopes. And so, God, these are, these are things we present to you. We, we need you, God, to work. And we trust that you not only can, but by your grace and in your timing, with your love and by your power, you will. In Jesus' name, amen.